Romans 10. This is sort of just an introduction, really, to uh, the whole subject matter this morning. Romans 10. It says this, Romans 10, verse 12. For there is no difference. I'm going to use King James today. Okay, I'm going to use King James. Uh, I like the wording there. I like uh, everything about it. Thank you, Kim. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent as it is written? How beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Esaias, that is Isaiah, saith, Lord, who hath believed our report? So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. That's where I wanted to go to. Okay. But I say, have they not heard? Yes, verily, their sound went into all the earth, and their words into the ends of the world. But I say, did not Israel know? First Moses saith, I will provoke you to jealousy by them that are no people. And by a foolish nation I will anger you. But Isaiah is very bold and said, I was found of them that sought me not. I was made manifest unto them that asked not after me. But to Israel he saith, all day long I've stretched forth my hands unto a disobedient and gainsaying people. Let's stop right there. <laughs> this thing about preaching. The scripture says that God has chosen foolish things. Okay, foolish things. And one of those foolish things he has identified is the foolishness of preaching. The scripture says that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. Okay? Preaching is an indispensable item in God's great plan, not only of salvation, but of blessing. Now, this morning, we're, going, we're not going to spend so much time on the salvation end, but we are going to spend time on the blessing end. Okay? Now God, in his great plan, he, he, he's, he's from, from before the earth began, he had a plan of salvation for the earth, and that plan of salvation involved the sacrifice of Jesus for our sins or for our justification. What justification means is right standing before God. So Jesus died on the cross so that we might be forgiven. He took away the sin of the world, which was unbelief, and he did that in order that we might be right in the sight of God. And once God, see, once God sees you as right, then there's no wrong. But yet and still, we walk around many, many times beating ourselves over the head. We look at our own faults the way um, God doesn't look at us. We judge ourselves unfairly. We take upon ourselves burdens and, 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 and attitudes and, and uh, dispositions that we shouldn't because we fail to see ourselves as God sees us and we fail to understand what kind of a plan he's working out in our life. Now, the scripture says here in verse 17, and this is where I wanted to go to today. This is just a point of introduction. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. By 
By grace we are saved through faith, and that not of ourselves, it is the gift of God. God has given, the scripture says, every man the measure of faith. And so God gives us faith. Okay, He gives us that. And that faith that he gives us is a tool through which he dispenses his grace into our life so we can be saved, so we can receive Jesus. Okay, So faith is important. Back in the... Um, in the old denomination, they explained faith this way, that faith was, uh, it was actually, there was, there was two dimensions of faith. One was saving faith. Okay, that's the faith that saves us. We're saved by grace through faith. So one is, one is practical and one is what they call experiential. Okay, the experiential side and aspect and dimension of faith is the side of faith that can grow. You know, once, we, once we're saved... And once the faith goes through its, the, the proper operation that God wants it to go through, then Jesus begins to talk about faith as the size of a grain of mustard seed that grows and produces fruit. And so there's two sides to this faith thing. There's the side of faith that saves us, and there's the side of faith that grows us or that grows through us. Makes sense? Now, right here what it says so then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. The word is rhema. Read it this way. So then faith comes by hearing. That means being able to hear, having an ear that can hear, and hearing by the rhema of God. Now, there's, there, there's, there's two kinds of words that are primary in the New Testament when it comes down to defining word. Or the word of God. One is logos. Logos is the whole of scripture. It's the written word. The logos of God is the written word. But also there is a living word, Jesus. He is the logos of God. Okay? So that's one word, one of the words of God. There's two words in the New Testament. One, one of the words is the word of God which is Logos, which is the Bible. You know, it's just, let me hold your Bible, Veronica. This right here is the written word. It's Logos. Jesus is the living word. He is Logos. Now, the word that's used here in verse 17 is rhema. A, a, a rhema word from God is an utterance. It is a spoken word. Okay? Are you with me? We're going through this kind of fast, but it's a, it's the spoken word. It's what, it's what I'm doing now, okay? The rhema word, the spoken word that I'm bringing now, or the rhema word of God, finds its basis and its foundation in the logos. Finds its basis in what God has written, what he has inspired, and Jesus himself. And so when we speak about the written word, the promises of God, the word of God, when we speak about that, like I'm doing now and what I do every Sunday, that's a rhema word. And people call it also a right now word. So then faith comes by hearing. And as we hear this vocalized word... This spoken word, this uttered word, when we hear the uttered word, the scripture says that our faith grows in response to it. 
Now, what does that say about us when we don't expose ourselves to the rhema of God? What's going to happen to our faith? What's going to happen to our faith? It's not going to grow. It's not going to produce the way God wants it to grow and the way God wants it to produce. So hearing the rhema word brings a response from our faith which is dynamic and which never changes. Okay? Faith comes by hearing and hearing from the word of God. And so the preaching of the gospel is indispensable for the salvation of souls. But it's also in, it's indispensable for the development of our faith. Everybody clear on that? So the preaching of the word brings forth the salvation of souls, but it also brings forth the development of our faith, which has bearing on the gifts God wants to give us every day at Thanksgiving Christmas. Now, are y'all ready to kind of shift gears into this, this, this next part? Okay, Matthew 13, verses 1 through 23. That's a lot of scripture. One of the uncomfortable things for me this morning is having so much of the word, <laughs> the logos on the wall, because I really like to take a small snippet of scripture and stay with it. That's called exposition. And there is some value to using four million scriptures during a worship service. There's some value to that. But it's my preference to take it word by word and line by line and verse by verse. And context by context. Because when you do that, there is no misunderstanding about what the word says. And if there's any such thing as a strong suit for me, that is it. It's exposition. And so I'm a little challenged this morning because I got so much of this logos on the wall. And I realized that, that I'm not going to be able to deal with the whole thing which is probably good for you, or you'd be here till probably 9 or 10 o'clock tonight. I'm just being honest with you, okay? But I want you to listen to what I have to say in the next few minutes because I'm telling you it is critical and it is vital concerning where you are, where God wants you to be, and what he wants you to have. We Okay? All right. The same day, Jesus, the same day went Jesus out of the house and sat by the seaside, and great multitudes were gathered together unto him, so that he went into his ship and sat. And the whole multitude stood on the shore. And he spake many things unto them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went forth to sow. And when he sowed some seeds, when he sowed, some seeds fell by the wayside, and the fowls came and devoured them up. Some fell upon stony places, 
for they had not much earth, and forthwith they sprung up because they had, forthwith they, let me do that, where they had not much earth, and forthwith they sprung up because they had no depthness of earth. And when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away, and some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprung up and choked them, but other fell upon good ground and brought forth fruit, some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirtyfold. Who hath ears to hear, let him hear. <laughs> that was the end of his sermon. All these people had gathered just to hear that one little bit. The scripture says, and then the disciples, <laughs> and then the, and the disciples came and said, Why speakest thou unto them in parables? Why are you talking this way? Be plain. Jesus had an answer for him. He said, because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. But to them it is not given. For whosoever hath to him shall be given, and he shall have more abundance. But whosoever hath not from him shall be taken away even that which he hath. Therefore speak I to them in parables, because they seeing see not. And hearing they hear not, neither do they understand. And in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, which saith, By hearing ye shall hear, and shall not understand. And seeing ye shall see, and you will not perceive. For this people's heart is waxed gross, and their ears are dull of hearing. And their eyes they have closed, lest at any time they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and should understand with their heart. And it should be converted and I should heal them. That sounds mean, doesn't it? Jesus, the Savior of the world, is saying this. Sounds mean, doesn't it? No, he's explaining. A, he's not mean. He's explaining a condition. It's a condition they were already in. It's not his fault. The source of that comes from somewhere else. We're going to look at that in just a little while. Okay? It's not mean. Okay, next. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For verily I say unto you that many prophets and righteous men have desired to see those things which you see, and have not seen them, and to hear those things which you hear, and have not heard them. Now, okay. Hear ye therefore the parable of the sower. So he begins to explain now. What he had just spoken to the, the whole crowd and the multitude just moments before. Okay, verse 19. Here's his explanation of the parable. When anyone heareth the word of the kingdom. <laughs> oh boy. When anyone heareth the word of the kingdom and understandeth it not, then cometh the wicked one and catcheth away that which is sown in his heart. This is he which receives seed by the wayside. But he that received the seed into stony places, the same as he that heareth the word, and anon with joy receiveth it. Yet hath he not root in himself, but dureth, that means endureth for a while. For when tribulation or persecution ariseth because of the word, by and by he is offended. He also that received seed among the thorns is he that heareth the word. And the care of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, 
and he becometh unfruitful. But he that receiveth seed into the good ground is he that heareth the word and understandeth it, which also beareth fruit and bringeth forth some an hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. Thank you. My duck just died, I guess. Getting back to this thing about the word and faith. Listen to me. Where you find faith, you will also find the word. Where you find the word, you may not find faith. Because faith cannot exist apart from the word. Therefore, wherever you find faith, you will find the word. The word, the logos of God, is always there. It's presented, it's preached, it's lived every day as a witness to people who are both saved and unsaved. However, the presentation of that word and the heralding or the speaking of it may not land in an area that has faith. Therefore, faith will always be found in the presence of the word, but the word as it's delivered may not find the target of faith. Which, by the way, will keep you from having Thanksgiving Christmas. (laughs) I tell you, I appreciate that. That was just like a gift from heaven for me today because it explains something I hadn't yet got a handle on. And so what we're talking about today is the rhema word, the word of God as it is spoken and received in the presence of your faith, delivering Thanksgiving Christmas to you today. Now, I'm going to say this. If you go back and you remember what I read out of Romans 12 through 21, I'm going to say this. is God is waiting on you. We often talk about waiting on God. And it's true. There's, there's, there, there's times and seasons and situations where we need to wait on God. But I tell you what I believe in this dispensation in which we're living. Those instances and those situations where we, where we wait on God as we have grown in faith and as the time on earth is getting shorter, I think those things probably would be in the minority and it could be better said that God is waiting on us today. God's waiting on us. And he's speaking to us. He's calling to us by his word. He's giving us instruction from his heart by his word, both the Logos and by the Rhema. He's doing all this stuff. He's, he's expressing himself to us, and he's waiting on us to do something. The scripture said, those who call on me, I'll answer. What are you calling out to God for today? My message to this ministry is this, is we have got to, we've got to get this okay to call out for the personal things, but we've also got to get to the place where we call out for the bigger things beyond the boundaries of this house. That's what God's put us here for. And so, so ultimately, that's where we're going. And so today, we're in a situation where God is waiting and God is calling. And what is our response going to be? Well, 
there are thieves and there are robbers out there that would snatch away the development of our faith. Why is that? Because it is contained in your faith, the potential to have, to receive, to do, and to be everything God has said in his word that you can have, do, be, and see. And the enemy, let me tell you something. The enemy can't take your faith, but he can block the development of your place, faith to the place where you can't have Thanksgiving Christmas. Let's look at that. Verse 19. <laughs> what is the robber here? What is the thief here in verse 19? What is the, what is the thief that would keep us or anybody from having Thanksgiving Christmas? When anyone hears the word of the kingdom... And understandeth it not. Then comes the wicked one and catches away that which was sown in his heart. This is he which received seed by the wayside. One thing I want to point out to you. There are two things. I'll go ahead and identify the thief here. The thief is a hard heart. You know, your biggest obstacle really is not at this point. It's not the enemy. It's the hardness of one's heart. But the enemy reacts and responds to when the, the rhema word is spoken and it, I don't just notice what it said, catches away that which was sown in his heart. We don't often make the connection between a hard heart and the word of God that's spoken that actually finds a place in the heart of an individual. Did you know that even when speaking to someone who is lost, as Hogan's goat. <laughs> even when speaking to someone who has lost his Hogan's goat, even if that someone happens to come to church and they, they hear the word preached or hear it on the radio or they see it on a billboard or hear a song or they hear it from the word of an individual, even, even that, it's so powerful that it will go into the heart of someone who is completely lost. The word of God will, that, that utterance, that thing which is heard, it goes into their heart. That's why, regardless of the situation you find yourself in, whether it is a classmate, whether it's someone in your family, whether it's a neighbor or a co-worker, whether it's a stranger that you meet who is, who is blatantly obvious not saved, and you witness or you give them a little bit of the word, the capacity of the word is not hindered by their unbelief. Because it'll penetrate. Now what will happen is, the enemy, because of their hardened heart and their hard condition, comes in and snatches away the word of faith or the word of the kingdom. And therefore, that which was deposited cannot produce fruit because the enemy takes it away. Therefore, the person is robbed because not because the enemy stole it, but because their heart's hard. Is everybody okay? OK. 
Okay, here we go. The scripture records in the Old Testament. Remember the story of Moses? Where the word says that God hardened Pharaoh's heart at the pronouncement of every, uh, every judgment. You know, as a little fellow sitting in church, I would listen to that. And I would think, what? God hardened his heart so he wouldn't obey? What is this? That doesn't sound right. And for years I struggled with that. Let me tell you what that really means. What that really means is God made a statement. He spoke through the mouth of Moses. And Pharaoh was so obstinate and so arrogant and such a rebellious individual and so full of himself that when he heard what God was going to do, he said, God, you gave him a choice. Let my people go or, well, he was so arrogant and pompous that when he heard God speak, his heart was hardened in response to his own nature and character, not the nature and character of God. And he was 100% hardened. Read the story. So God didn't in some way harden his heart and then speak judgment and give him a choice. And then Pharaoh's heart was hardened because of something God did. Pharaoh's heart was hardened because of who he was. Have you all ever struggled with understanding that? Well, if you have, I hope you got the clear of it now. And here's where we're going to go. Janie didn't make those tomatoes this weekend that she was going to hand out. So when I said, y'all don't throw tomatoes, uh, you know, y'all have soft tomatoes. So she didn't make those. So I know you don't have any tomatoes that's like that. So I'm going to say, don't throw tomatoes at me. But I'm going to share something with you. It is true. That people who are in lost conditions have hardened hearts to the gospel until the glorious light of that gospel will shine through. And that comes through the work of the, and the power of the Holy Spirit. It comes through the determinate full counsel of God that he means that he's going to change us into Jesus and, and he's going to bring us to the place of repentance and all that stuff. Okay? But people can have completely 100% hardened hearts Jesus talked about the hardened hearts of the Pharisees. And all throughout the scripture, it talks about people who had hard hearts. That's why he has to give us a new heart. That's why he has to give us a new birth. To get us to the place where we don't have that hardness anymore. But you know what I've discovered as a pastor? I've discovered that we as people of the Lord, saved, sealed, delivered, spirit-filled, and all that stuff, we could be a person who sit in the pew. We could be a committee member. We could be on some board. We could be on, on staff. We could be a pastor. We could be a senior minister. We can, be, we can be whoever we are. 
And we may not have a hard heart, but we can selectively have areas in our life that are stubborn and hard and God's word can't penetrate. And when that word comes that we won't receive, the enemy will cause us to bristle up and say, oh no, I don't believe that. And so what he'll do is he'll take that rhema word. You know, the word that says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God We'll take that word and we will selectively allow the enemy to extract it because he's telling us something that we want to hear that's contrary to what God wants us to hear. And we will go with the enemy rather than go with God. Whew, I don't feel so good, does it? Can I give you a few examples? And these examples that I'm going to use is in no particular order. So I'm not picking on anybody. Okay. Here we go. Y'all ready? What about tithing and making offerings to the Lord? You know what the first argument I hear against tithing is? Well, it's not taught in the New Testament. Really? That's a statement of ignorance. Because Jesus... As he was confronted by some Pharisees one time, they were talking about almsgiving and tithing. Jesus said, these things ought you to have done and not left the other undone, which means you're not to do just one of two. You're to do both. Right there, that offering basket is an almsgiving opportunity. We got two baskets, for goodness sake. Let me show you something. Here is what Jesus was talking about. When we find someone in desperate difficulty and we have the opportunity, this is giving alms. Okay. When we tithe and make offerings, this is the other basket that we use. They're two separate and distinct things. Have you noticed that we, we try not to mix the two, but we have, we have to do the, both of them? Ever thought about that? Now, the other thing I hear about tithing is someone will say, well, you know, Malachi says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse. And if you do that, I'm going to pour out a blessing on you that you can't receive. Well, that's mentioned as a place to defend the practice of tithing. People say, that's Old Testament. <laughs> now, y'all, my blood pressure is going up on that one. Let me ask, can I hold your book again, Veronica? And I'm using yours because it's special. Let me just see here. Give me just a minute. I'm coming. Give me just a minute. All right. Like I said, we're going to talk about some other things. We just happen to be here right now. What does that look like? Huh? What side is this? That is the Old Testament. What side is this? She knows where I'm going. When somebody says, oh, that's the Old Testament, it's just sort of in a degenerative, degrading kind of way, what you have is you have two-thirds minimum of the inspired Word of God that someone says, 
Oh, that's Old Testament. I don't believe that. What's good? All the rest of that stuff, you feel the same way? If that's the case, then what we need to do with Veronica's Bible is take a pair of scissors right now, cut down this binding and say, here, you just take Matthew through Revelation because the rest of it is not valuable and it's not of importance and it's not applicable in your life. Would you let somebody do that? You'd get up and slap them, wouldn't you? You should have. That's the attitude you should have. Get up and slap them. If, if I ever try to do that, get up. For goodness, slap, slap me with love. I tell you what, I'll let you slap me on one side and Cody can slap me on the other. If I ever say that. I remember when we were pastoring uh, the Macon Corinth Primitive Baptist Church. Yeah. See, I was ordained on December the 31st. This coming December 31st will be 25 years ago. So Janie and I are celebrating, and our family are celebrating 25 years of pastoral ministry this coming up December. I'm going to tell you something. We started 25 years ago. You know how much I knew? That much. But I tell you what, when I was at the Macon Corinth Primitive Baptist Church, I learned a lot. I actually had a family one night, had an argument because one of the young ladies in the family had an unexpected pregnancy. Dad called grandma and the daughter and all the kids and the wife out to the parking lot, and they were having a family conference. We were having a social something on Wednesday night. And then somebody come got me and said, please, please, come to the, come to the, come to the uh, parking lot. Hurry, hurry, hurry. There's a problem. And so I get out there, and I find the dad threatening to kill, seriously, threatening to kill the young girl who was about 14 or 15 who was, who was carrying the... Uh, the child who was not yet born. Playing with, he, had a, he had a gun in his possession in the parking lot of a church. And it was my first pastorate. What do I do? Nobody told me about this. See, I learned. And I could give you a long list of things I learned. But I grew a lot those first three years. And one of my favorite people in the church was named Mark Methvin. Mark married Gloria. Gloria's family had been a part of that church for years. They had, they had two, one little beautiful girl one, at that time, one little girl. Mark, was a, Mark had been, um, he was brought up a Roman Catholic. And a lot about stuff Baptist did, he didn't know about. He didn't understand, which is okay. It was okay. And so Mark one day came up. He repented of his sins. He received Jesus. We baptized them. And Mark was earnestly. He was earnestly because Jesus changed his life. He was wanting to do what Jesus said needed to be done. And he came to me two or three weeks later. He said, I got, he said, you know, I'm trying to, he said, I'm trying to improve and get my life in order. He said, but I got a problem. I said, I need to talk to you about it. I said, what is it? He said, it's about this tithing thing. Now he worked down at the uh, base, the Air Force base in Warner Robinson. He made a lot of money. He said, what about this tithing thing? I said, well, the scripture says that we're to tithe. That's my understanding of it anyway. <laughs> and Mark said, I don't know if I can do that. He said, I can barely pay my bills like it is. He said, if I go, and he knew what a tithe was. He knew that was 10%. He said, if I start doing that, he said, uh, he said I'm not going to be able to pay my bills. And without hesitation, I looked at him. Something rose up in me. I said, Mark, let me tell you something. I said, I'll make a deal with you. 
three months, starting this next week, your next paycheck, you go ahead and tithe. And at the end of three months, if your life is not better, you come to me and I'll write you a check for what you've spent, what you've, what you've put into the treasury of the church. And I said that before I knew it. But you know what? I had confidence in something that was in the Old Testament. And what was in the Old Testament was in Malachi, and the Scripture said, bring all the tithes into the storehouse, and if you do, I'll pour you out a blessing so big you can't contain it. You know what I believe? I believe God's word was true, which made my offer and my promise of no consequence because I believed the word. It didn't take three months. You know how long it took? It took three weeks. Mark came back into my office, and he was all smiles. He said, I'm telling you, he said, this, this thing works. He said, my life is better. He said, I seem to have more disposable income than I've had before. He said, God's blessing me. He said, and he gave me some examples, this, that, and the other. And it wasn't just about finances. God was beginning to touch his life and bless him in other areas other than the finances. And he had the spiritual wherewithal to be able to recognize that. And he was rejoicing in it because of this blessing that was attached to this rhema word in the Old Testament. And I had confidence in this. I, I, you know, I got to thinking about it. I said, you know what? God's not going to lie. <laughs> but in the worst case scenario, if something happens and he doesn't believe his life is, is better off tithing than not tithing, I believe God's going to bless me to the point where I'll have enough to give him and have some left over for me because God promised a blessing so big I couldn't contain it. That applied to Mark and it applied to me. And I still live by that. I'll tell you now, right now. You know, I don't keep up with who gives money and who don't. I have no desire to know. And so, therefore, I can make this free statement, uncompromised. I'll tell you here and now. And this goes to you two. It goes to y'all two. It goes to you two, y'all four, six, eight, ten, whoever you are. You start. If you have income, you start. And you start today. Or the next time, you know, you start next time you get a check. And you begin to believe God for that blessing that's attached to this rhema word because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You go ahead and attach yourself to that. And if your life's not better off in three months, come to me. Sister Jenny, I'll write you a check. No, I will write you a check. Try me a, just try the Lord. It's not really trying me, it's just trying the Lord, okay? Fact is, I haven't made mine for this week. Okay? I'm going to do something. I'm, I'm not being bigoted here. I'm not being a show-off. But I'm going to tell you, the Lord convicted me of something a while ago. He said, if, if folks don't see you do this, they'll think it's all a lie. Tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to write a check. This is not a challenge to you. This is a point of accountability for me. I'm going to write a check. I'm going to put it right yonder. Because I believe the promise of God. Okay? I'm going to do that. You don't have to do this. But faith comes by hearing and hearing 
by the word of God. And he said, he's going to pour me out a blessing that I can't receive. And I'm not going to tell you how much this is. Because I'm going to leave you wondering. What's today's date? Ninth. Now we're getting somewhere, okay? We're getting somewhere. Thank you, ma'am. Appreciate that. We're getting somewhere. Now, what I put in back here, there's a spiritual principle at work, supernatural principle at work. As I put this right here, boom, guess what just happened? If I believe the word of God right now, the windows of heaven has opened, and those things, that seven years of stuff that I've lost and that I've given away, that I don't have no more, that I have grieved over, that I have cried over, that I have moaned and groaned and belly ached over, it ain't got to be finances, but all that stuff, that list I'm going to make, here's what I believe. I believe that God has opened that door already, and it has come down on me. Some of it's going to show up in the bank account, but guess where some of the rest of it's going to show up? It's going to show up in peace of mind. Let me ask you a question. Have you been dealing lately? Has, has the compounding effect of no peace in your life, has it come down on you yet? What about no joy? What about working yourself half to death and not getting anywhere? Getting worse. God has not intended your life nor mine to be so consumed by work that we can't invest it in our family. Because if we really trust him for what he's doing, and we really believe that heaven's going to open when we simply are obedient to what the rhema word says. If we believe that, then we're not going to have to work as hard anymore. We're not going to have to spend time away from our family anymore. You don't, do you know how much time I have given the last five years to my place of employment? Try five days a week. 24 hours a day. I'm not going to have to do that. Amen. You hear me? My wife, my family, and my two Dotsons are more important than that. It ain't no Dotson car. It's a Dotson dog. Two of them. I'm to the place now where I am militantly angry for the lie the enemy has told me that this part of the word is not applicable because who am I going to believe? I'm going to believe the devil or I'm going to believe God. Who? Who am I going to believe the devil or God whenever I got this ache and this pain in my body? When I get up sick and sore and can't move, he's always there goading you, this, that, and the other. Well, he says, let me ask you something. If you're sick, what are you going to do? I know what you're going to do because you're all charismatic and Pentecostal. I know what you're going to do. You're going to lay hold on them healing scriptures, aren't you? You're going to believe that by his stripes you're healed. Not going to turn loose from that. I abide under the shadow of the wing of the Almighty. He's going to have, he has healings in his wings. I'm going to believe and not turn back. That's what we're going to do. Let me ask you this. Why should it be any different than what you believe about your healing and how true the word is and what you believe about tithing? You're going to pick and choose? That's what I'm saying. We can condition our hearts to believe 
When the lie of the enemy says, you don't need to believe this because it ain't so and so, it ain't this and that. That's the same thing he did to Eve. Same thing, same process. You know, people ain't changed. I ain't changed. You ain't changed. But why won't we believe God when it comes down to the finances like we believe his word for our health? What about our depression? You know, are you depressed? Are you anxious? Are you worried? Are you concerned? Are you about to die because you're operating under some weight that you shouldn't be operating on under? Tell you what, if you're depressed and you're in chains of bondage, you're going to run straight to Isaiah 61 and make all the claims that about Jesus was bruised for our iniquities, okay? And he died for our liberty and our freedom to have those chains broken off, that he has really given us uh, the, the, uh, he's, he's given us dancing instead of mourning. That's what we're going to do. So what I'm trying to say, the only thing I'm trying to say at this point in the message is we harden our hearts in certain areas of the word that we don't want to hear from. And when we do that, we're robbed of Thanksgiving Christmas because there is a, there is a biblical principle. It's when God promises you something in his word and it's based on your obedience and it's based on the development of your faith, that Rhema word that was spoken to you. When he promises that, he's going to come through. He's not going to lie to you. The enemy's a liar. And if we believe what he says about any area of our life that's contrary to the word of God, if he tells us a lie, he's just being true to his character and nature. God's not going to lie about it. See what I'm saying? Okay. All this excitement. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to... I didn't mean to throw this thing down and get angry. And I didn't get angry. I just, I'm, just, I'm, I'm tired of the enemy messing with me, and I'm tired of him messing with you. I'm tired of you not having Thanksgiving Christmas. Where'd my notes go? Oh, okay. <laughs> Y'all mad with me? Don't get mad with me. If you're mad, go ahead and talk to God. See how far you get. I'm telling you. Okay. The first robber of our Thanksgiving Christmas is hard-heartedness. <laughs> the second one in verse 20 is this. But he that received the word in the stony place is the same as he that heareth the word. And with a non with joy he receiveth it. Yet he hath no root in himself. Dureth for a while when tribulation and persecution arises because of the word. By and by he is offended. What's the second robber? Offense. At who? Who, 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 who are they mad with? This person who received it with joy, but when tribulation and persecution come along, they became offended. Who's it talking about? It's talking about us, ain't it? You ever been offended with Jesus? You ever been offended with God because all of a sudden things don't work out the way you think they're supposed to work out? Not the way you expected them? Here's what's happened in our 25 years. Here's, here's what's happened. I've seen it just oodles and boo-coodles sometimes. Somebody will come in, a new believer. They'll, you know, they'll get saved. Boy, all of a sudden for about two weeks, everything is hunky-dory dandy. It could not be any better. It's just like eating ice cream with chocolate and sprinkles on top. 
But when the enemy catches up to that, the enemy begins to cause problems. And problems begin to manifest. Situations and circumstances. Uh, all of a sudden, they start losing friends because their dispositions and their habits and their, and their, their, their speeches are not the same anymore. You, know, you guys who've been in school lately know this. How many of your friends want to listen to Jesus? Not many. What will they do if you start talking about Jesus in a closed environment? What will happen? Yeah, they'll throw you out. You'll lose your friends. We call that what? Persecution. They don't like me anymore because I love Jesus and Jesus loves me and i got a witness. Then what happens is other stuff can begin to happen to a new believer. Tribulation, which is trouble. <laughs> trouble from whom? Jesus? Oh, no. Trouble from the enemy. So you're persecuted by your friends and you're troubled by the enemy. As a new believer, you know what they can do? They can, they can come to this conclusion. Because they're not used to that and they don't understand and they're not really rooted and grounded in the word, yet they give up quick and they'll say, you know what, if it's the it was better off for me whenever I didn't believe. It was better off for me when I didn't have faith. It was better off for me when I wasn't going to church. Things was easier on me. Well, guess why? Because the devil had him where he wanted him or had her where he wanted her. Guess what? It robs them of Thanksgiving Christmas because through the, big, the infancy of our Christian walk, when, when Jesus is taking situations where trouble comes our way by the enemy or persecution comes from our friends, that is supposed to be, and we tell people this, God, and, and we, it's happened here. God, God's working on you. God's working something out. He's trying to teach you something. Daylene's big on that, isn't she? Now, God, what are you trying to teach me here? How many times have you heard that out of Daylene? It'll be on her tombstone. God, what are you trying to teach me here? <laughs> and instead of saying... Instead of standing still and saying, God, what are you trying to teach me here? We say, you know, God, I don't want more of this. And we, we or they can go their merry way because it was easier before. And you know what? That robs us of Thanksgiving Christmas. Almost done here. Verse 22. He also that received seed among the thorns is he that heareth the word. Is he, have you heard... How many times this morning have you heard "hears the word" or "heard the word"? That rhema word, that spoken word, that word that God is always putting out before you. He also that receiveth seed among the thorns is he that heareth the word, and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and he becomes unfruitful. Why would a person become unfruitful? Now, if you notice right here, the language changes. And it starts talking about fruitfulness and unfruitfulness. You see, here's the point. The, here's the point of what the word is intended to produce in your life. It's intended to produce fruit. Because in the next verse, it talks about the one who... Receive the whole thing. But he that receives seed into the good ground is he that heareth the word and understands it, which also beareth fruit and bringeth forth some hundredfold and some sixty and some thirty. You see, this rhema word, this word God's forever putting out to you. 
If you don't harden your heart, in areas that you don't want to hear from God from. And, and God does, God's going to talk to you about every area of your life. He's not going to leave an area undone. And when you deal with one area, he's going to talk to you about another. And he's going to talk to you about another. And he's going to talk to you about another. And he's going to let you decide whether you want to allow that word to be snatched from you or to be uprooted from you or to cause no fruit or whether you're going to embrace what he said and you're going to start bringing stuff forward. You see, the dynamic principle here is being obedient and then us having the, I'm going to say, having the power and having the authority over being able to bring forth fruit in our life. For what? Well, that was a trick question. For what? The spiritual way to answer that would be to bring forth fruit unto the honor and the glory of God. And that's true. But let me tell you something. There's more to it than that. If God has given you the capacity to make your decisions, to receive the word and to allow your faith to grow to the place where he wants, and if it is true that your faith is going to produce fruit and there's going to be a harvest, yes, ultimately and, and even presently, there is, there, is a, there is a very real principle that you're doing it to the honor and glory of the Lord when you bear fruit. That's just glory to Jesus. But I'm going to tell you something else too. He's going to allow you to bear fruit for yourself and for your consumption and the reason I say that is there's a principle of ministry, and you're all ministers. There's a principle of ministry in the New Testament that says, muzzle not the ox that uh, grinds out the corn, that threshes out the corn. Let the person eat of the fruit of their labor. How many times have you heard that? So when we harden our heart, when we don't hear the rhema word, you know who it's hurting? It's hurting me. If I don't hear the word, and I don't be obedient to it. I made a choice. And I'm hurting me. I'm cutting down on my harvest, which is ultimately going to impact me in a personal way. And you know what? I think that's what God if I think that might be that might be the thing that breaks his heart the most in this whole thing is when we have the, the opportunity and the capacity, all the tools necessary to bring forth fruit that we could benefit give him glory and we could benefit I think that's the thing that may, may just hurt him the worst I don't know because you've been designed to bear fruit you've not been designed to reject the word and you've not been designed to reject the blessing and every time we reject the word we reject the blessing can you see how bothered I've been by this You know why I'm so personally bothered by this? It's because for years I've done just those things. I have refused to participate in the harvest God wanted me to have and enjoy the fruit and the harvest that my labor has offered me. See, ultimately it comes down to a personal thing. Now, the blessing in this, this, this fourth thing. This is not a Thanksgiving Christmas robber. This is a Thanksgiving Christmas present. Verse 20, let's see. Okay, 23. But he that receiveth seed into the good ground, and that's what I hope you have. Good ground. No hard spots, no stony spots, nothing trampled on, nothing, none of that. 
But he that receives seed into the good ground is he that hears the word and understands it, okay, which also bears fruit and brings forth fruit, some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. I'm telling you, when he said this, the minds of those people absolutely exploded. You know why? Just going to give you a contemporary example. We take at the farm a bushel and a half to two bushels of seed, and we'll plant an acre of soybeans. An acre of soybeans under proper fertilization and water and spray schedule and everything can yield up to 100 bushels an acre out of one and a half to two bushels of seed. You know what they were yielding back in this day? They didn't have commercial fertilizer, and they didn't have insecticide, and they didn't always get rain. If you put a bushel of seed out there, you might get back four or five at the most. And so Jesus is saying, if you receive this word into your heart, and you understand it, and you produce fruit, some of you are going to bring forth 30. What that means is let's just talk about two bushels. If you put two bushels out there, you're going to get 60 back. <laughs> See, a hundredfold, I mean, 30-fold is not a third. Uh-uh, it ain't a third. Because, see, a third of two is two-thirds, which is a little over half, right? He's talking about put two bushels out. <laughs> you get 60 back. And some of these people's farmers in their minds go, oh, Wow! That's the spiritual implication in my life. Then he talks about what? 60. But see, 60 is not 60. How much is 60? How, I'd be 120. Oh! <gasps> you see, it's not just double, it's exponential. Then he says, some of you will get back a hundredfold. What that means is <laughs> you go from two bushels <gasps> way up there, ain't it? Yeah. Put out two bushels, that means you get back. 200. Now, at that point, some of them done fell down, been overcome by the Holy Ghost. They're just laying there in the dirt on the seashore, mumbling in tongues. That's where some of them were. Jesus blew them away with the promise of what their faith would develop if they were only obedient and they were not hard-hearted and they didn't, they didn't hinder his process. Because, see, ultimately... You're, you rule over that. <laughs> Golly. You see, that's a better return in that day than it even is today with all the technology. I'm telling you now, Jesus is telling you today, it's Thanksgiving Christmas. And he's not promising you, in terms of your faith, the betterment of just double G you know, Jesus don't deal in double. Have you figured that out yet? He don't deal in double. It's exponentiality. Jesus don't deal in double. Listen, you know, he don't deal in double. He deals in exponentiality. 
So y'all ask me, what does Jesus want you to have? Can you say exponentiality? Expon what does Jesus want you to have? Okay, let's just, just raise your hands right there. Everybody and just raise your hands. I'm telling you. And you repeat this. Let's pray this together. Father, in Jesus' name, I yield to the principle of the rhema word. I'm not hardening my heart. I'm receiving your word. It falls on good ground. And the word that you've given me and the faith that is going to grow in me and the fruit that it produces is not going to be double. It's going to be exponential. And that's what I receive. That's what I believe your word says. And that's what's going to happen. In Jesus' name, I thank you. Amen. Jesus don't deal in double. He deals in Thanksgiving Christmas. <laughs> oh, me. What you laughing at, Wayne? <laughs> you smiling. <laughs> but I'm telling you, the choice is up to you and it's up to me. And I'm sorry I threw this stand down, but I'm mad at the devil for what he's stolen from me and my family and I ain't going to have it no more. Period. I just ain't. I'll try to be more reserved next time. Yes, ma'am. Expect to get mustard back. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah, trying to get rid of clothes. Okay. 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 What about shoes? I'm just kidding. What is it? Okay, cool. Yeah. And I believe that he will honor that. Yeah. So even if we give our offerings, we may not get the right. monetary things, but whatever we sow, we're going to reap. But I believe in the transfer of some of the things I sow will be even fruitful. Yeah. That's right. And see, now, the principle here is this. And even in Malachi, what did God promise? He said, if you bring all the tithes in the storehouse for three years, try me and see if I won't pour you out a blessing you can't receive. He never anywhere said it was going to be money. But it comes that way. And it comes other ways, too. And he, has, he knows what your needs are. You know, somebody with a tormented mind and got a lot of money, you know, if they're obedient to the Lord, they don't need more money. You know what they need? They need relief for their mind. And so God has the capacity to know what you need, and he'll give it to you. But I tell you what we found in our life. We, we found in our life that uh, it comes in money too. But God's not held to just money. Okay, is everybody good? Okay. Father, in Jesus' name, thank you for this day and this word. And Lord, thank you for correcting my heart when I need to be corrected. And Lord, I receive all that. And, Lord, I receive everything, every blessing in heaven, every Thanksgiving, Christmas Day. I receive that now in Jesus' name. 
and with joy I will enjoy it. And with blessing I'll be blessed with it. And with happiness I'll glory in it. And it will be to the benefit of the kingdom and to me because these promises are to me. In Jesus' name.